This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. In recent years, many a vodka distillery has relied on the marketing buzzwords such as clean, crisp and pure. But there are few that can back up these claims as fully as Riker Vodka. Distilled on the west coast of Iceland, in the shadows of the majestic Mount Hafnifel, the distillery is part of a land like no other, a land of Vikings, volcanoes and crystal glacier waters. To find out more, we talked to U.S. brand ambassador Trevor Snyder about stills, geothermal power, and flavor in vodka. Thank you for joining us, Trevor. Thank you for having me. Now, on your website, you comment that the vodka is not just made in Iceland, it is made of Iceland. I assume by that that you're referring to the water that you use. Yeah, I think the the glacial water makes up for about 60% of our final product. So uh, to your point of not just made in Iceland, but made of Iceland, that is a big percentage. But then uh, the other aspect of that is that we utilize Lavarock as our filtration mechanism. So that helps to remove the impurities and then uh, have the beautiful spirit come out on the other side. So it's kind of two-part. Uh, if you wanted to stretch it and make it three-part, it was that, you know, we utilize the geothermal energy to power our distillery as well. So I'd say that that's pretty much uh, the, the triple threat combination in terms of being made of Iceland. Now, speaking of the lava field, I believe that it's 4,000 years old. Yes, it is. What is the process of filtering through that? So our master distiller actually handpicks the lava rock that we utilize in our Carter head still to remove those impurities. He's basically focusing on lava rock that is formed on land because it has a different porous quality. Uh, again, going back to removing the impurities, like I said before, uh, it's kind of just like a filtration process, no different than you would use, uh, you know, a sieve or, or something to remove something and allow the, the spirit or your liquid to come through on the other side. So that 4,000 year old lava rock is something that utilizes all of those that kind of catching technique or to remove those impurities. It is a natural way. And Iceland has more than 130, it's got tons of volcanoes, of which a handful of them, I believe still 30 of them are still active. And last year we actually had one erupting, which kind of caused a little bit of a stir. And, and obviously, regardless of the pandemic, had some people coming out to capture this, uh, this moment, which doesn't always happen, at least not in everybody's lifetime. No, of course. Speaking of volcanic activity, you were talking about how the distillery is powered and that is emission-free. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. So uh, a lot of Iceland, I believe the stat is it's 80 to 90% uh, utilizing geothermal energy as their main power source. So uh, essentially that is just harnessing the core temperature of the planet 
because Iceland sits on the Mid-Atlantic Ridge and very similar to islands that have been created through volcanic uh, activity, very much like Hawaii, although the climate is obviously different in Iceland, but it's the same kind of formation pattern. We capture that through steam with pipes and gauges, and that helps to then generate the energy that powers our distillery. But as I said, when I started, uh, powers about 80 to 90% of Iceland's power needs in the country as a whole. Wow, that's impressive, isn't it? It's very impressive. And it's, I think, obviously, Iceland was ahead of the times. I think everybody is making a move towards sustainability and, and treating Mother Earth uh, with respect. But I, I would like to think that Iceland, be it so isolated and, and so forward thinking and, and very much, you know, for the cause of the environment, it's one of those amazing things that we can definitely put our stamp of approval on and we're very proud of. Mm, I can imagine. Now, I believe the name Raker actually comes from the geothermal process. It does. And there's kind of a, a, you know, I'll say a cute story. Uh, I really enjoy the story. I feel like I've been telling the story my whole entire life. The name Reka translated means a steam or smoke. And essentially what you have is Reka vodka. So we have steam or smoke vodka. And there's a tie in there because when the land was settled many, many years ago, when the island was sailed upon, it appeared that the land was on fire. And because of the smoke and the steam, because of the activity, that they didn't know whether it was on fire or whether it was smoking. But then they created this word in the Icelandic language, which is reker. And that means to, to be smoking or the, the, the art of smoking. We named our brand after that as a brand kind of tribute looking back at Iceland and how it was discovered and, and, and that cute little story about that land that we all love to call fire and ice. And that, of course, relates back to being made of Iceland as well, doesn't it? A hundred percent. And it's, it's funny how it comes full circle like that. Now, aside from your filtering and your water and your power, the other unusual and quite interesting thing about the brand is the still, the Carterhead still, which you use. Yeah. Now, I believe if I'm right, that that's a still that is normally used for gin. You are 100% right. And it's actually one of the stills that we use in the two-part process to produce Hendrix gin. I'm sure you've had uh, a Hendrix cocktail once or twice in your life. but Once uh, or twice, still, yes. Yeah, once or twice. We'll, we'll play it safe. The, the still was actually created by two brothers. And of course, I'm sure you could guess the name. They were the Carter brothers. And they produced this still to obviously, as you said, produce gin. So it has a beautiful botanical basket where you would be putting botanicals in to create gin. In part, though, we are not creating gin. We are creating vodka. So we put those lava rock in there so that the spirit in a gas state or a liquid state can interact with that stone. And as I said before, capture those impurities and make sure that the beautiful spirit comes out on the other side to get bottled to be consumed. So it was basically for that basket that you chose that particular still? So I I can't attribute that exactly. I would say that uh, that still was selected based on the charmingly offbeat sense of humor that Iceland has, uh, which is that we picked a gin still to produce vodka. And that's kind of it. That's the funny bit. Now, 
the brand has chosen to use a mix of both barley and wheat. Why is that? Is that part of the offbeat as well? Uh, not so much. Uh, it's predominantly wheat with a little bit of barley. And that barley is more for, you know, kind of just getting that process going and aiding and abetting in terms of our production, in terms of fermentation. But nothing, nothing crazy, uh, no crazy science. Just, you know, again, like I said, predominantly wheat with a little bit of barley. It makes for a beautiful spirit because Iceland doesn't really produce the quality of the grains that we would need to produce our beautiful spirit. Right. Now, let's get on to a slightly contentious issue, and that is flavor in vodka. Now, I believe that the brand talks about the vodka having a rose, lavender, lemon, and pepper palette. Can vodka really have flavor? Uh, I, I think, well, just kind of going back, I think uh, I'm very passionate about this. And, you know, over the years of me being in this role, I think that a lot of bartenders, or I should say uh, the industry as a whole, has given vodka kind of a lot of flack as it relates to this flavor question. I, I think it it definitely has flavor. I know that there are some vodkas out there that don't. And I'm not talking about like, you know, a specific fruit forward flavor. I'm talking just about a character or backbone and flavor profile. Mm. And I would attribute specifically to Reka, uh, you know, kind of all of those other touch points that we discussed previously, which is the lava rock filtration. And then obviously that glacial water and our still, those all impart flavor that I think is present in vodka. Now, again, I'll caveat that with taste is subjective, right? So if you're not getting what I'm getting, you know, don't worry, your palate is not broken. It really yes. is a subjective, it is a subjective taste, but Reka starts off, you know, what I would say pleasantly sweet, uh, not overwhelming, and then moves on to some very, very bright citrus notes that can be described. It could be citrus, could be grapefruit. It all depends again, because it's subjective. And yeah. then it moves, it moves on to what you had said, like that pepper. And I'll describe that pepper flavor profile as a white pepper. So it's like, okay. it's that per- perfect amount of spice but it's not overbearing. It's enough to entice you to take another sip to figure out what that spice is, or you maybe just want to revisit it. And then it finishes up what I would say very, very delicate on the palate. And there's no burn, or I should say that that pepper is that spicy note, but I would never describe that as a burn. And it's just, it is a delicious vodka. So that's, I'll say for Reka. Now, in terms of flavor for other vodkas, there's many different ways to make vodka based on filtration, based on water, based on the still, and, and all the other processes and the, and the base, essentially, right? The grains that you use. And so I know that there are some vodkas that are just distilled uh, tons of time and all the flavor is removed. Although the category of vodka, right, is defined as colorless, odorless, and flavorless. I would still say that Reka definitely has a distinct characteristic and flavor profile as some vodkas in the category do. And the counter argument is that there are some that are completely stripped of everything and they are colorless, odorless and flavorless. Reka, however, is not. Right. Do you believe that because it's filtered through the lava and that allows it to not to have to go through multiple distillations, that that is what allows the flavor to come through? 
the the reason I think Lavarock is a great complement to our production of the vodka is because it is a complement to using that Icelandic water. So all those minerals and everything is is coming from the same place, right? And and, and Mother Nature, in my opinion, is you know it, it is truly the circle of life in terms of regenerating and and having things. Whenever chefs are making dishes. You want to, you can pair cocktails. There's a reason why a margarita goes great with agave syrup and limes. You know, these ingredients all kind of come similar in terms of terroir or area and very similar to, I'll say, the production of Reka. I think that complement of that lava rock and that glacial water, which makes up for a good bit of it, really kind of complements each other really well. And it allows the spirit to stand up in ways that I think using a different filtration mechanism may not be as positive. Right. You wouldn't think that Lava Rock, though, would impart any other flavor other than, I suppose, a somewhat ashen. Yeah, I I think, you know, that and a minerality, right? Because it is a rock, because uh, the way in which the rocks are formed. Uh, because that magma and, and, and those minerals and elements come from the inside of the earth and then are thrust up into our surface and then, you know, kind of cool and become this excellent uh, filtration, you know, kind of mechanism. I think that it's brand new, right? It, it's that lava rock is constantly being created whilst uh, a volcano is erupting. Now, at some point, there are older lava rocks. And again, I don't know exactly, you know, what the reasoning is behind the master distiller selecting which rocks he selects. I've asked him. He hasn't really given me a a straight answer. But I I think it's more a a vibe and a feeling that he gets. But there is a weight, right, in terms of the elements that are in there, in terms of whether they're more, uh, you know, uh, heavier in a, a metal or a metallic versus some other natural elements. But I think, yeah, I think that, you know, the, the filtration process can leave a minerality that I distinctly taste in the vodka. But again, I'm a, I'm a professional and I've been drinking the vodka for a long time. Right. I mean, using different rocks like that, it must make consistency a little bit difficult. Yeah. And I think that the consistency is also a big thing, right, as it relates to creating spirits. And what I'll say is in our production, uh, our batches are producing 255 cases or a thousand liters. So that consistency is all up to our master distiller. He knows when it's right and when it's wrong, and he makes those cuts on that distillation, and that's why he's the master distiller. That would be one of the advantages of being somewhat small batch, I assume. A hundred percent, and and obviously having that level of control, and what he is always proud to say is that it's all about his nose. He can detect on the distillation when it's time to cut for heads, and when it's time to cut for tails and make sure that we get those hearts in the bottle. Now, we've we've talked a little bit about flavor, but if people haven't tried the vodka before, what should they expect? So I think this is one of the most interesting things about Reka. And over the seven and a half years that I've been the ambassador, people are always pleasantly surprised when they taste it. Kind of going back to my description of those flavor profiles, and again, the caveat is that it is subjective. I just think it it does have so many flavors 
it tastes like, you know, like a, a gem, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a roller coaster ride of flavor profiles. And again, kind of just saying, you know, starting off a little bit sweet, hitting some citrus notes, moving on to that, you know, spicy element. I think that the expectation is, is that everybody has had an experience with a spirit, whether that be vodka or gin, and they've had good experiences and they've had bad experiences. They, you know, consumed maybe too much or, you know, have been consumed not enough and they need to taste more to really formulate an opinion. I think with Reka, it is exceptionally smooth. It is extremely versatile from a Bloody Mary to, you know, a five to one martini to, you know, my famed espresso martini. I think that yes. that that is something that I think everybody, if they haven't, should try because there's a lot of secrets in that bottle that come from Iceland into that bottle of Reka. And I think everybody should try it because vodka is so broadly accepted by so many people. Uh, regardless of how many whiskey people will come after me or tequila people will come after me in terms of popular spirit. Vodka has been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a long time and no one can really do anything about that. Yeah. No, I'll agree with you very much there. <laughs> now, if they are trying it, I assume you would suggest they try it neat before they put it into your world famous espresso martini. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I get a, a, not a pushback, but I think there's two avenues, right? There's either maybe three, uh, there's neat, uh, which I strongly recommend. And, and some people prefer, you know, either over ice or either out of a freezer. And I'm not going to say that any of those are wrong. It's, it's a personal preference, but my preference is to drink it neat because those flavor profiles will be a little bit brighter when it is at room temperature. And they will be a little bit slightly more masked because when it is cold, say pulling a bottle from the freezer, the viscosity is going to be increased. And that, of course, is going to affect mouthfeel and taste profile. But if you wanted to open it up a little bit and pour it over, you know, a little ice cube and just let it open up, I think that that's fine as well. Like I said, my preference is just to have it neat because I want to taste all those bright flavor profiles in their natural state or at a natural temperature. Now, some people say that there are certain spirits that are basically just neat spirits and not necessarily cocktail ones. Is Reka one of those or is it equally as good in a cocktail? No, it's equally as good. And, and kind of touching back on that versatility, you know, if you wanted to sip it neat, uh, you know, I know not maybe a lot of Americans like to drink vodka neat, but I know in other parts of the world, vodka neat is certainly acceptable and consumed uh, quite regularly, whether that be with a meal, whether that be on its own. Um, I think that the versatility really is endless, whether that be in a cocktail and with a combination of ingredients, uh, you know, some classics or something new that you just want to have because say you love cranberry juice or you love, you know, aloe vera juice whatever you love, that, that versatility in vodka as a whole is very much uh, approachable. And Reka is completely in line with that as well. Now, speaking of cocktails, though, um, would you say that it is better in sort of savory, bitter cocktails or it's more of a sweet cocktail? No, I would say that it it's probably equally versatile in both of those realms, you know, like you said, from dry or bitter, you know, to the, the, the sweet side. 
You know, I, I love a cocktail. I just made last week, uh, one of the other drinks that I really adore is to infuse sage into Reka. And you can infuse it many different ways. Uh, the way that I like to do it is to just put it into a blender and put the leaves of sage in there and then filter it out. And that brings such a vegetal, bright flavor profile to the vodka. And then I just make a Tom Collins or a John Collins with vodka and that sage infused vodka. And it's so, so very bright and tall and refreshing with some lemon, fresh lemon. And I make a black pepper simple syrup, which adds another beautiful complimentary flavor profile to that oh, white nice. pepper spice. It's, it's absolutely divine. And my wife loves them. So I don't make it all the time, but when I do make it, I usually make the bottle so that, you know, I don't have to go through that whole process every time I want to make the drink. And it really is an easy drink to make. But again, directly answering your question, yes, the versatility from a bitter cocktail. Uh, one of my other favorite drinks to have is just simply uh, a Reka soda. And I put five dashes of Angostura bitters in with uh, a lemon garnish. I really enjoy that. I enjoy that light, refreshing kind of tall drink. I, I really enjoy those drinks as a whole. I'm not so much a spirit forward uh, cocktail guy. And if I am, it's definitely a five to one martini, but that's a special occasion for sure. Right. Now, speaking of adding herbs to the vodka. Sure. Would the brand ever consider doing a flavored vodka or is that something that has such a, a bad name these days that... So I think, you know, it, that's a, not a loaded question, but it's a great question. And I get that question asked quite a bit. So there's no plan to do any of that thus far. Although I will say that, you know, things are always subject to change, right? And the market depicts kind of that influence. But as far as the brand is concerned for right now, no, only our unflavored Reka vodka is the product that we will be selling. Right. Okay. Now, coming back to cocktails and to bartenders, I imagine you've seen a lot of bartenders experimenting with the vodka. What are some of the more unusual drinks that you've come across? Yeah, I think that this is, you know, this is a great question because, you know, the versatility depending on here in the, in the States uh, on each market, right? You know, the cocktails that they make in New York uh, could potentially be slightly different in Miami versus somewhere in the middle of the country like Chicago or even a smaller part, you know, like in Oklahoma or say parts of Texas. So I think some of the most interesting cocktails that I've seen made with Breca are would probably be more along the lines of like my sage, the infusions. I think that people really okay. put they push the envelope, right? And and when you whenever you want to pick a spirit for an infusion, uh, I know that a lot of people will pick a lesser spirit because they want to improve on it. But when you pick a premium product already to make that infusion with, it really, really shines through in a huge way, kind of touching back on that sage infusion that I make, which is just absolutely stunning. And I'm happy to share that recipe with you if you'd like so that your listeners could make that at home because it is really well worth the effort for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, how much sage are you using to a bottle of the vodka? Yeah. So, uh, usually depending on, you know, whether it's a 750 or a liter or 25 ounces or 
33.8 ounces. You know, it, I would vary it anywhere from, say, 16 leaves to it could go up as much as 24 to 30 uh, with a liter. And you really want that flavor to be intense because we're going to add other ingredients with that cocktail. And we definitely don't want that sage to get lost because it is a lighter kind of herb to begin with. So mm. it, again, it's to taste, but that's a good range from 16 to say 30 based on the 750 or the liter. And, you know, again, you just make adjustments as you go. It's kind of like cooking. If you don't, if you taste it and you don't feel like there's enough sage, then you can add some more. And again, in terms of that consistency point, some sage, uh, you know, is organic. Some sage isn't. Some is homegrown. Some is from the store. And so you always have to be monitoring your quality of your ingredients that you are infusing. And does how much you pulse the blender affect the flavor? Yeah, I think that now we dive into maximum surface area. So the more surface area that we have, the vodka can penetrate and be exposed to whatever the herb is that you're infusing, which is, you know, always great. But I think you don't have to let that. This isn't one of those things where you need to let it infuse overnight. This is more of a rapid infusion. So if I was to do it, put the leaves in, put the vodka in, blend it for say a couple minutes, two, three minutes, just to make sure that everything is pulverized, let it sit for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and then strain it out and you are ready to go. It's not one of those things that you need to put in a cool, dark place and let sit for three days and let it infuse. If you did, it would be extremely intense. And, yes. you know, if you're looking for that, then I would say explore that, right? Try it. Try a bottle. Try it for half a day. Taste it. Try it. Then do another one or try it or, or separate it, right? Break it up. If you do the whole bottle, take six ounces, put a label on it, mark the time and go that right. And then you can find out what level of intensity you really want. Whilst I was talking about that, I also thought in terms of interesting cocktails, I always love the tea bag infusion as well in vodka, which is okay. great. Whether it's chamomile or, you know, whatever tea you like, peppermint, it's always a quick and easy way to inject flavor and really good pure flavor into your cocktails. And, you know, a simple one, right, would be taking a bottle of breakup, putting a couple tea bags in, letting that sit for, you know, anywhere. Like I said, it could be four to six hours. It could be a day, depending on your preference. And then, you know, just kind of topping that off with a club soda and, and uh, whether it be some mint as a garnish or, you know, some citrus as a garnish. And that way you're not buying a mint flavored vodka or I don't even know if a mint flavored vodka exists. I'm sure it does somewhere. I'm sure it does. Yes. But, you know, again, you, that versatility then with those tea bags is very easy to create cocktails. Peach, lemon, ginger is also another favorite of mine. I have a cocktail with that that I think is really good. And, you know, when you want to impart those flavors into those cocktails, sometimes those ingredients are very difficult to secure or it's very expensive. And tea right. is, yeah. is, is definitely, uh, you know, cost conscientious. And those ingredients usually are very premium and can impart the flavor that you need for each cocktail. Excellent. Yeah. Now, you mentioned gins and tequilas earlier. Obviously, gin is having a bit of a renaissance in the U.S. at the moment, and tequila has been the darling for a number of years. Do you think their rising popularity is going to change the way that people think of vodka? Um, yes and no, right? I think yes, 
in the effect that here in America, you know, people's palates, and I always give kudos, are developing in a different way than they are in other parts of the world. And I think that that's just attributed to culture and ingredients and, you know, kind of proximity. I always love to go abroad because I love to try all the flavors and the food that maybe isn't as easy to obtain here in America. But I think that, you know, with all of the popularity of whether you say social media or the internet, you know, services for home delivery and securing ingredients, I think that, you know, people are starting to branch out and they're getting a little bit more confident and their palates are getting more refined. And you are seeing, you know, uh, say, you know, a common place that now is not just doing um, a traditional Moscow mule. They're doing flavored Moscow mules. I use that as just an example. But the yeah. complexity of the, of the offering is definitely demanding of more. And that's because the customers are wanting more and are they're more educated. And it's more available in ways and parts of the world that I think it wasn't years ago. Mm. And I suppose the education for consumers, a lot of that came through COVID. Yeah, I think a home harm bartending and the access, right, for a lot of whether that be bartenders or brand ambassadors like myself about just getting in front of these screens and these cameras and kind of saying, hey, you know, I'm home with my wife. We're stuck. We're all stuck at home because of COVID. Uh, and the pandemic. And I think that this is a great drink to make. It's super easy. And, you know, people try it, you know, that accessibility mm. and that relatability, you know, to your point of everybody being home or in one place, you know, it makes it extremely approachable. And uh, that education component is huge. I mean, I, if you, I, in my opinion, if you're not learning, you're wasting time. And I always want to get out of the comfort zone and try some things that I've never had before because that's the way that you can broaden all of your horizon. Now, speaking of world events, even though Reka is Icelandic, do you think that the protests against Russian vodkas is going to have an impact on the brand? I think for Reka, no. I think that historically, any of these things that have come up, whether you mentioned Russia, you know, there's been some others in the past. I, these things happen and 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 trends and 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 people are put out and you know it's i don't always agree uh i don't always disagree it's one of these things that i think it is the world that we live in and we all are human and these uh, catastrophes these tragedies all of these things happen and sometimes you know, from a marketing standpoint, it is utilized as a beneficial and spreading awareness. And sometimes it's not. I can't speak on all the other brands, but from Reka's standpoint, you know, I think that we're very much, you know, finger on the pulse and making sure that we consider all of the people that are involved in all of the things across the world. And we try to insert ourselves in the most positive and, and to be beneficial for, I'll say, humanity and paying it forward for the right thing. And sometimes that's more difficult than, than other times. Oh, of course. Now, what is it that you want people to take away from their experience with the brand? I think the big thing, right? Vodka has changed so much. Vodka has been around for so long. And I think that there are, as much as there is a category of vodka and we have flavored and unflavored, there's many different filtration 
mechanisms, processes, uh, elements. I think that with Reka, Reka just wants to have you enjoy Reka and our Icelandic vodka. We're very prideful about that. And I think that we've definitely caused uh, some, some noise in the category because there are a handful of vodkas. Most of them that are Icelandic are not exported out of the country. Reka is one of the only Icelandic vodkas distributed in the United States. Uh, I know that in other parts of the world, some of them are, but for the most part, most of the Icelandic vodkas stay on the island. Reka is really kind of the most popular, I would say, and uh, equally probably the most distributed as well across the globe. Well, speaking of distribution, um, I assume Reka is available throughout the U.S.? It is. It's available in all 50 states. Uh, Sometimes you have to hunt and peck to find it, but you can jump on our website. Uh, Reka.com, and you can type it in here in the U.S. and type in your zip code or type in your city and find a place that has it and get yourself a bottle and experience all that Iceland has to offer in a bottle of Reka vodka. Excellent. Now, if people are outside of the U.S., how widely is it distributed across the globe? So we're in, and I forget the exact number, but we are in, I think, close to 100 countries. Uh, We are not everywhere in the world, uh, not yet, at least, uh, but we are in a lot of, say, obviously the UK uh, and parts of Europe. We are in Australia. We are in parts of Asia. We are in Africa. There really is a bunch of the bigger places we are. We have a presence and we are there. Good, good. Okay, well, if um, people want more information, they can, of course, as you mentioned earlier, go to your website, which is com, or alternatively, they can connect with the brand on your socials. Yes, they most certainly can. All right. Well, look, um, Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. And um, hopefully we'll all do a, a shot of vodka to cheers the event. I very much look forward to that. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailsdistill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.